Also extend a greeting in Jesus' name and a welcome to each one. Welcome to the visitors. Good to have you here with us as well this morning. Before I get into the message, just a few things I'd like to get out of the way. First off, the, the snow has turned to rain and um, may turn back to snow again. So for those of you who are antsy and can't wait to get out in it this afternoon, what's there this afternoon is going to be there um, this afternoon when you get to it. So we may as well sit down and relax, right, and enjoy the, the rest of the service. Also, thanks to the congregation here for your gifts and kindness shown to us over the holidays. Um, we, we're grateful, we appreciate it, and don't feel worthy of it. Um, I am looking forward to next Sunday evening, the service. I'm just going to put a bit of a plug-in uh, for the meeting here, the informational meeting on Choice Books. Uh, I've been involved in Choice Books off and on since what year was it? I think it was 88 when I was there in voluntary service and um, seeing the ebbs and flows in the ministry. And I don't want to take, I just want to whet your appetite with this. And um, we've seen ebooks come and the internet come and concerned about how that's going to affect book sales. And then uh, you have relationships where uh, 40% of your overall sales are with a, one primary vendor and that relationship is, is always touch and go and, and at risk of, of losing, but yet to see God's blessing on in the ministry and unprecedented opportunity. And I'm not saying that lightly. We have opportunities now that we're only limited by finances and personnel. Um, stores, uh, the big box stores are opening up and um, we have incredible opportunity. Book sales just this past December was a record-breaking month of book sales. Incredible. And a time when we think the economy is tight and people aren't buying place, that's like we think they should. They're buying books. And it indicates to me that there's a hunger in the world. There's an uncertainty and people are not um, sure. And, and so they're looking for answers. <clears throat> also, one thing um, I'm going to put out there, I don't want to distract from the message. But something I can't help but share, this past week, we sold our old minivan, and um, it's going to be a home for a couple that's living in the community. They're um, reaching the age to where they can, be they can um, benefit from Social Security. Um, it was an odd sequence of events. Would have known this man through work um, some years ago. He's had a number of health issues. Um, as a result of the health issues, lost a leg. And he and his lady, whether she's his wife or what, I don't know for sure, are in the community. You may have seen an old um, neon um, sit in, in either Wise parking lot, maybe Rudders. They move around a bit just for a change of scenery. Occasionally they stay at, um, generally they have connections with uh, several local truck stops and they'll park in their parking lots and and then uh, for showers, they'll use their showers. Um, I don't understand. I don't know all the background, but if there would be somebody that knows a link or has a link to uh, some kind of uh, housing that we can get for them, uh, what ended up happening? Somebody saw our ad. Um, one man bought the minivan. Another man is going to fix it up and get it to pass inspection, and then they're going to donate it to this couple. Uh, they are living right here in our community. They stay at the Rudders, they stay at Wise, they stay at Trailside sometimes, um, move around a little bit just for a change of scenery. Can you imagine an elderly couple 
I call them elderly, living in a neon at the moment. That's where they're sleeping tonight. And um, so the, the men that were involved in, in buying the van have, have been talking, and, and I and, and we're trying to figure out, is there not something that can be done? I don't think there's family. If there is, there's not good relations with the family. It's a bit of a complicated situation. But that is right here in our community, and that's alarming um, to me. <clears throat> so if you have some input as to uh, how we could help, find, help them find housing, I think there is also that possibility where they've burned a lot of bridges and uh, trashed. I know the one place they, they stayed at when I knew him through work um, after they left it, they had the place tra trashed. Um, so there's some of that going on. But it's, uh, it's alarming that that is actually um, taking place in our community. <clears throat> Thank you, Floyd, for reading the, the um, parable of the ten virgins. And I, I open it up, I'm sure, because what Floyd was talking about as far as uh, giving the oil, I thought about that briefly. I don't have much to say on that. But so I'm sure there's much that about this parable that I'm going to be missing. And I would welcome a testimony times if you have something that you see in this parable that really um, should be said or that you feel should be said. Um, I would welcome hearing that. And if there's anything I say incorrectly, I would welcome your uh, feedback on that as well. <clears throat> The last time I preached was the Sunday just before Christmas, and I preached the message on anticipation. And we saw in that message how that the coming of the Messiah was a highly anticipated event. It was the Jews who were religious Jews and who were at least who were familiar with historical writings and prophecies knew that the Messiah was coming, and it was something I believe that was taught, and they were continuously uh, kept in front of them, and so they were anticipating the coming of the Messiah. <clears throat> and we know that as the first coming of Jesus Christ. Today, as believers, we anticipate his second coming. And if you remember, and if you don't, that's fine, I forgive you. In October, I preached a message from Matthew 24, and in the closing remarks, challenge us to watch and be ready. Matthew 24, Jesus was talking, Matthew 24, 25, and yes, Matthew 24 and 25 are, are what we know as the Olivet Discourse. Jesus had, it follows Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He was just, he cleansed the temple and then after that, him and the disciples went out to the Mount of Olives. And it, the Bible tells us in, in chapter 24, verse 1, the disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And it was something magnificent, something to, to be seen. And Jesus spoke of a time when these things will be destroyed. Not one stone will be left upon another. And the disciples asked, when is this going to happen? And how are we going to know when it's going to happen? And that's where Jesus I kind of picture him, he sat down, was there a rock there or something, and his 12 disciples, I say 12. I'm not sure if Judas was still with them. I'm assuming he was uh, the next chapter, chapter 26. Um, I'm assuming Judas was there with him because in chapter 26 it gives indication that he was starting to bargain with the scribes and Pharisees to betray him. 
And so we had looked in that message at Matthew chapter 24. And so now, this morning, I'd like to look at Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the ten virgins. virgins. And the title of the message this morning is Preparation. The last time I preached, it was on anticipation. And this morning, the message is on preparation. As I already mentioned, this, this parable was given as part of the Olivet Discourse. And it was given before Jesus was betrayed. It was given before his Last Supper and his crucifixion. I would say just before those events took place. The disciples had taken him out to the Mount of Olives. And already mentioned that Jesus predicted the destruction of Jerusalem and then proceeded to teach them in chapter 24, verses 4 through 31. We believe that he was speaking of the future of Israel. And in chapter 24, 32 through 35, speaking of Israel and the church. And then particularly in in verses 36 through 51 in chapter 24, speaking of the future of the church and Jesus' second coming. Verses 36 through 41, describing the separation that will take place between believers and unbelievers. And then verses 42 through 51 is the warning to watch and be ready. And then in chapter 25, continues with a message for all believers, Jew and Gentile alike. Parable of the Ten Virgins, I believe, is referring particularly to the Day of Judgment. So let's look at this story, a familiar story for sure. I don't think it's new to any of us. But there was a wedding, you could say there was a wedding in town. And it was known, or it was as part of the uh, tradition at this time, that the bridegroom was going to be passing by, and there was a, a lot of anticipation surrounding this event. I tried to determine exactly what was going on here, and, and I, I got to the place where there was about three or four different versions of was the, was the groom coming from his house to the bride's house to take her, or had he been there ready? It's different versions. And so I've kind of concluded that maybe exactly what was happening isn't so important as the, the, what was happening in general. <clears throat> Some say that this was the bride and her bridesmaids, the ten virgins, was the bride and her bridesmaids out waiting for the coming of the groom. And this thought would kind of lend itself to what we believe that Jesus is saying in the parable. I believe the important part here is that there was a time of waiting. Whoever it was these ten virgins were, and whatever they were doing, they were out waiting. There was a time of waiting, and there was an an uncertainty about what they were waiting for. I mean, they knew what they were waiting for, but when it would all happen was always not quite sure. They couldn't be real sure of the exact time that the groom would be passing by. And we also know from this story that there were some prepared and some were not prepared. And the Bible tells us that while they were waiting, they all slumbered and slept. And and take note of that. They all slept. The wise and the foolish virgins slept. 
And at midnight, there was a cry made. The, the bridegroom is coming. And there was, this woke them up. They woke up hearing this cry. They responded to the call. The, he wasn't coming yet. I mean, he wasn't there yet, but he was coming. And so there was a lot of, uh, I don't know how at all the event really took place. But, but there was apparently a lot of excitement. There was an announcement made that the bridegroom is coming. And here is where we see why some were called wise and some were foolish. The foolishness, I don't think, was in the sleeping. The foolishness was in not being prepared. They all woke. All ten of them woke up. And then the foolish ones begged for oil from the wise ones. And, of course, we know the wise ones didn't share their oil. And so the foolish went into town looking for oil. But by the time they came back, the wedding party had started and the door was shut. And there was no hope for them to get in. The five foolish virgins begged to be allowed into the wedding. But the door was shut. And note the doorkeeper's response. The doorkeeper didn't say, you're too late, you missed it. He didn't say, it's too full, we don't have room for you. He said, I don't know you. I don't know you. I don't know who you are. You may not come in because I don't know who you are. Their lamps had gone out, and because they weren't with the five when the bridegroom came, they were not known as being part of the bridal party. They missed the coming of the groom. They heard the cry. They were out waiting for him, but they missed it. What is the meaning of this parable? Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like unto ten virgins. And I believe in this we can see, in in connecting the kingdom of heaven to a wedding ceremony, it it does show us that this parable, helps show us that this parable is talking to the church, uh, believing Jews and Gentiles alike, and not just to the nation of Israel or to the Jews. It's interesting also to note that in the Old Testament, God is often referred to as the husband of Israel. Uh, A number of different places, Isaiah 54, 5 being one of those. And in the New Testament, Christ is called the bridegroom of the church. We often see Jesus being referred to as the bridegroom of the church. Ephesians 5 would be a very clear passage on that. So to me, from some of these things, it is clear that that this parable is referring to the church, which is all of believers, Jews and Gentile. Why ten? And I don't know. That's my answer to that question. I haven't, I looked into it a bit. I I couldn't find any clear direction as to why ten. Was this a, a normal amount? Was this the usual amount? Was it, there's some significance? Um. In Irvin Hirschberger's book, Seeing Christ in the Tabernacle, where he gives the meaning of different numbers, ten is the number of completeness, five is the number of grace. Maybe there's a lesson there. I'm not sure. That's not a point that uh, we're going to go into any further this morning. What were these ten virgins doing? We know they were out waiting, 
we think there's a possibility that it was a bride and her bridesmaids. We're not sure about that. But in this setting, the marriage was often was pre prearranged by the fathers. The groom had paid his dowry, and he was prepared. He had his home prepared. And now, it seems like was the wedding time, was the wedding day. The wedding was about to take place. And so there was, there was preparation leading up to this. There was negotiation, as I understand it, between the fathers of the bride and the groom, and, the, and a dowry needed to be paid to secure her as his wife. And then, of course, this was all consummated by the wedding ceremony. And this wedding ceremony in, the, in this time could stretch out to be up to a seven-day event of celebration and times together with family and friends. So we, we believe, we know that these ten were out waiting for this exciting, this highly anticipated event. And they were out waiting. It seems like they went out early because they didn't know exactly what time he was coming. So they allowed themselves some extra time. So they're there for sure ready. Apparently they knew the route. They had a good indication of the route that he was going to take. And because of that, they were, it appears like they were out there along that route somewhere waiting for the groom to come by. <clears throat> they were looking forward to a great, exciting event. There was going to be lots of food. There was going to be celebration. There was going to be family and friends. A lot of good times together for the next seven days, apparently, or else this was in the middle of those, or part of those seven days. I'm not exactly sure on that. <clears throat> But what happened? Only five of them made it, and five were rejected. What happened? Remember that all of them went out in anticipation of the coming of the bridegroom. All of them knew that the bridegroom was coming. All of them were expecting this to take place. All of them had light when they went out. And all of them slept because the bridegroom tarried. And it was late, midnight, it says. And I, I don't know if people have considered this to indicate spiritual laziness. And I'm not, I don't think that that necessarily indicates spiritual laziness, the fact that they all slept, because they all slept. Simply, it was late and they were tired, and so they slept. But all of them heard the announcement. Remember, all of them were waiting. All of them had light when they got there. All of them slept. All of them heard the announcement, and they all woke up when they heard the announcement. They all heard the call. And all of them trimmed their lamps, it tells us. Then all those virgins, verse 7, arose and trimmed their lamps. The lamps were likely a rod of some kind, with rags wrapped around them and soaked in, in oil, and then they would light them and it would give them light as they went by the way. And as time had elapsed, their lamps had burned out, and now they were, it says they trimmed their lamps, they got out, and I think it's very similar to what we do to a candle wick that is burned and is too long, you trim it. And they trimmed off the excess um, rags, the stuff that was charred and already burned. 
but alas, only five. Only five still had light. And the other five scrambled off to town to find oil. When those five came back, no amount of begging or coaxing could get the doorkeeper to open up. One writer wrote of apparently in the, in the East, in the Middle East, this is more of a normal thing, or was at least at one time. He spoke of, I think this was a Buddhist wedding that uh, was taking place, and, and they knew it, and they, he went there and tried hard to coax the doorkeeper to let them in. He wanted to see what was going on inside, how this, what was, but he was a tourist, and he was not allowed in. The doorkeeper did not let them in. And we see that in this portion of scripture as well. No amount of begging or coaxing could get that doorkeeper to open the door up. Five, half of them heard the incriminating words, I know you not. What was the difference? What was the difference? Notice a few things with me. Let's remember that this parable, I believe, is written to the church. And it's written to all that identify the church. This isn't talking about people who are churched and people who are out in the world. It's not that kind of a separation. This is talking about people that are all in the church. All had fire. All had light. All, we could say, had faith because they went out. They went out in anticipation of this bridegroom coming. So they all had faith, but they didn't all have oil. They didn't all have oil. On this verse, verse 3, where it says, there were, They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. On this verse, Charles Spurgeon says, and he says it well, They were willing to carry a lamp in one hand, but to devote the other hand to the care of an oil flask was more than that they were willing to do. It is the want of the oil of grace that is the fatal flaw in many a professing Christian's lamp. Many have a name to live, but have not the life of God within their souls. They make a profession of attachment to Christ, but they have not the inward supply of the spirit of grace to keep it up. There is a glitter or a flash, but there is no permanent light. And there cannot be any, for although they have lamps, they have no oil with them. These five had lamps, but they had no oil with them. They really had no spiritual, no inner spiritual life. There was no relationship with Christ, putting it in today's words. They had a profession of faith in Christ, but did not have a relationship with him. They had an outward appearance of a walk with the Lord, but no inward relationship to sustain their profession. What is the lesson for us today? The, the message today might make us a bit uncomfortable, and I believe that's okay. I don't want us to be living in fear, but we should consider this. The lesson is obvious, and it is sobering. The bridegroom of the church, Jesus Christ, is coming again at such an hour that you think not, the Bible tells us. We don't know when he's coming, but he is coming again. And there will be 
a great marriage celebration. Revelation 19 speaks of the great supper of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Ephesians 5 talks about Christ wanting to come and take to himself a spotless bride. There will be a great marriage celebration, and only those prepared with the oil of grace and evidence of the Holy Spirit will be there. The ratio given in this parable is a bit unnerving, is it not? 50-50. I trust and believe that ratio is way off for this group of people here in Mine Road. I hope that ratio is, is wrong. And I'm not going to make a big deal out of the, the ratio either. But I think we need to consider, I need to consider at least, I get set in my ways, I get into my routines, and I let things slip in that probably shouldn't be in my life. And it's good for me to consider where I'm at. I may have said this recently, but I'll say it again, and I remember clearly Aidan Troyer uh, some of you remember him as an evangelist. I date myself a little bit by saying that because there's probably close to half of you here that wouldn't even remember Aidan Troyer. But Aidan Troyer said something, and I heard him say it more than once. Three things that will surprise me when I get there. One is who all is there. Two is who all isn't there. And three, that I made it. It has been said that heaven is a prepared place for pre prepared people. We don't know when he is coming. We don't need to know when he is coming. We need to know him so that we can be ready. We need to be prepared for when he is coming again. Jesus gave this, this parable to his disciples many years ago. Matthew recorded it, and it has been preserved for us throughout all the ages between then and today. And I think the, the, the thing that I want us, there's a few things I want us to wrap our, our minds around this morning. Where, while the parable is sobering, the message of the parable is so sobering, at least we have it. It was given to us. He could have left it out. Matthew could have left it out. Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit could have left it out of the Bible. But it's here, and it's here for us, and it's giving us a chance. It's giving us the opportunity. It's giving us a warning. Giving us a call. We read this parable. We have this parable to read today. And it's been read many, many times. Like I mentioned in the opening, this is a familiar portion of Scripture. The parable is a story of the ten virgins. And it's one we've heard since we were children. <clears throat> and I believe that it will be here. For generations to come, for as long as God decides to tarry, this story will be here in the Bible. The Bible has stood the test of time in history past, and we have all reason to believe that it will stand the, t the test of time in history in the future. That's an oxymoron. History for the future. As long as we have the mental capacity to read it, we have the opportunity to choose how to respond to it. Do we ignore it? Or do we take it to heart and take the time and effort and get honest with ourselves to prepare ourselves to read the story and apply it to our lives? That begs the question, then, 
the incriminating words for the five foolish versions was, I know you not. I know you not. It begs the question then is how will he know us? How can we know him and how will he know us? And I'd like to spend some time to close the message here reading several different portions of scripture because there is plenty in God's word that tells us how to know him and how we can be sure that he will know us as well. We know him by, by knowing his word, the Bible. John 20, 30 through 31, through 31 says that there are many things that Jesus did that are not recorded. But John says, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Many things could have been written, but these things were written. Enough is given, is what John is telling us, that we have what we need to believe him, but we need to believe it. We need to know it. We need to know his word, read it, meditate it, on it. 1 John 2, verses 1 through 6, gives us some plain, simple language as to how we can know that he knows us and how we can know that we know him. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby, this is how we know, Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. This is simple language. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith, he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk as he walked. We know that we know him when we keep his words. And so to keep his commandments, we have to know what they are and familiarize ourselves with it. Second Peter. Second Peter 1, and I'll read verses 3 through 11. Again, clear language. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Brothers and sisters, we have promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge. There we have that word knowledge again. And to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence 
to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Verse 11 is basically saying, when you knock on the door, or when the bridegroom comes and you respond to his call, and you get to the door, he'll let you in. So an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We need to know him. We need to know him. When we know him and we live in obedience to his words, he will know us at that day. And we don't have to fear. We do not have to fear those words that the five foolish virgins heard. I know you not. We do not have to fear that. We have given to us in scripture everything that we need. How do we know him and How do we know that we know him and he knows us? We know him, as I've been pointing out, by knowing his word. And he gives us his spirit. And for that, I'll read some verses from 1 John 4. And I believe the oil that was mentioned for the lamps could indicate several things definitely indicates a relationship with jesus christ and i believe definitely indicates also the presence of the holy spirit in our lives first john 4 and i'll read verses 7 through 16 beloved let us love one another for love is of god and everyone that loveth is born of god and knoweth god he that loveth not knoweth not god for god is love And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Again, write this portion of scripture down, these verses that I, uh, several portions that I mentioned, and, and read them and meditate. And there's so many precious promises in these words that are written for us today. We can know. We can know. I say that we can know. And sometimes we're not sure, right? And sometimes we even have difficulty um, seeing ourselves as we are or or seeing where we're at. I'm not sure if I'm making sense. What I'm trying to say is, you know, if, if, if you're sitting here this morning and you have a fear or doubt and you don't know if you know him, if you don't know if the Holy Spirit is in your life, 
talk to someone. Because sometimes we, we can't see ourselves as quite right. And so other people can help us with that. And that's why we have the brotherhood, isn't it? To encourage each other, to strengthen each other. And if you're not sure if you have the Holy Spirit in your life, or if you know him or that he knows you, there's precious promises that are in these portions of Scripture. We can read them. We need to believe them in faith. But sometimes we need the help of flesh and blood, of people, to help us put it to use in practical way in our lives. I'll read verse 13 through 16 again here in this portion of Scripture. 1 John 4, 13 through 16. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess. I think this is basic right here. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him. So if you have confessed that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God dwells in you. That is clear in Scripture. And there's times in our lives when we're not where we wish we would be. And we feel our weakness, we feel our undoneness, and and we think we're coming up short. But we need to believe what God has said. And it's not so much where I'm at today in my walk with the Lord as it is which direction I'm heading. Where am I going? What is my desire? Do I have a desire within me to follow him? Do I feel conviction when I sin or when I fall away? That's a good indication. That's a good indication that the Holy Spirit is within you. The message of this parable is a sobering one, and the odds are grim. It should cause us to tremble a bit in our seats. The good thing is the message in this parable is equally encouraging. We have the warning for which we should be grateful. We have the opportunity which we should not lose. Today is a day of salvation. As long as we have life, we have the opportunity to prepare for the second coming of Christ, to prepare for the future, to prepare for life in eternity. We have that opportunity today, right now. 2 Corinthians 2, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Watch therefore, for ye know not, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. Let's kneel in prayer.